Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our September product event, where you'll hear from Raquel Smith. Raquel is currently a product manager at Dozuki, and her presentation today is all about the Kano model. The Kano model is a framework for thinking about potential features and attributes you can build into your product. We'll go over what the Kano model is, how to get the data you need to fill it out, and then what to do with the data once you have it. In the end, you'll understand how to use the Kano model to identify your product's value proposition. The YouTube version of this presentation has all the slides, which may help in understanding the material. There's a link to the YouTube video in the show notes for this episode. And without further ado, let's hear Raquel's talk, how to use the Kano model to identify your product value prop. All right, so today I'm going to talk about the Kano model. Uh, and specifically, we are going to talk about identifying your product's unique value proposition. And we are also going to touch on prioritizing your roadmap, but I'm not gonna get super deep into that because I don't think we have quite enough time. Um, so just before we get started, a little bit about me. I'm a product manager with a passion for startup strategy and empowered teams and also unbelievably happy customers. That's how I like to put it. Um, I work at a company called Dozuki, and I am their first and only right now PM, but I'm excited to be growing a team soon, um, as soon as we recover a little bit from COVID. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Raquel M. Smith, and also I'm on LinkedIn, and I sometimes post short videos about product management and other random things. So in this talk today, we are going to go over what is the Kano model, just to get introduced to it a little bit, and then when to use it and how to use it. And then at the end, we'll do, hopefully we'll have some time for a little bit of QA. So to start off, what is the Kano model? The Kano model in short is a framework for prioritizing features that could potentially be built. Um, it was developed in the 1980s, so quite a while ago, by Professor Noriyaki Kano in Tokyo. And if you want to learn all about the history of the Kano model and Professor Noriyaki Kano, uh, you can find all that information on Wikipedia. Not going to go into that today. The foundation of the Kano model is it's about how you understand how certain features that you could potentially build are going to impact customer happiness. Um, so you have a graph like this with on your x-axis how much you've implemented the feature with absent, the feature doesn't exist on the left and fully realized on the right. Your y-axis is user satisfaction, so completely dissatisfied at the bottom and super happy at the top. And there are five different buckets that you can put features into. So the first is the must-haves, and we're going to go through these one by one. Uh, the second is performance benefits. The third is delighters, and this is your very typical Kano model graph that you'll see if you search for it on Google. There are two other buckets that aren't represented on the graph, um, and those are the indifference and displeasers. We'll touch on those, but you generally just don't want to put those in your product. So the first is the must-haves. Uh, you'll notice that the must-haves, if it isn't anywhere near absent, your customers are completely dissatisfied. But even if your product fully implements this feature, then if it's fully realized, then it doesn't make customers that happy. They're just like mediocre about it. Um, these are things that your users simply cannot do without. They are boring, they are not interesting, they are not worth marketing and selling, and they are absolutely necessary. These are things that people will oftentimes want to ignore because they are not very fun. Uh, 
Um, but really don't be fooled by the lack of interestingness in these features. Um, the reason they're not interesting is because they've been built to death and that's because everybody needs them. Um, they're things that once people discover you don't have them, they leave thinking, are you kidding? How does it not do that? Uh, an example in the real world is like if you went to a hotel, um, no one advertises that you're going to have toilet paper in the bathroom, but it's just an, a baseline expectation that upon arrival, you'd be really disappointed to find what's missing, especially if it couldn't be easily remedied. So those are your must-haves. Your performance benefits are things that are on the proverbial playing field. They're things that users generally want, um, and they're things that companies compete against each other based on the variety and level of implementation of these types of features. Um, so if it's halfway implemented, you've got your customers about halfway happy. Um, you get a pretty good one-to-one -one relationship with effort put into those and how happy your customers are going to be. If we think of our hotel analogy, consider the Wi-Fi situation. Um, you'd expect that a hotel is going to have Wi-Fi wi available. The question is, what flavor of Wi-Fi do you want? Do you want free Wi-Fi or fast Wi-Fi? Um, maybe both. And it really depends what you're looking for when you're finding a hotel. Um, you might consider this when selecting your hotel room. These things are typically more interesting and fun. And as I mentioned, these are things that you do market and sell. Finally, your delighters. Um, these are things that if they're completely missing, your audience doesn't really care. But as you implement them, you make them unexpectedly happy with these features. They are really things that your, your customers really talk about. They don't make the, sell, the sale. Um, people don't come to you looking for these types of features, but they make your customers talk about you. One example I have, if we're still thinking of our hotel analogy, it's like finding free beer in the mini fridge, um, even if it's just one beer. And when someone asks you how your hotel was, you're probably going to mention, yeah, it was great. Well, maybe it wasn't great, but hey, there was free beer in the mini fridge. Um, it probably made you unexpectedly happy and you probably got more than $5 of happiness out of the hotel's $5 investment in that bottle of beer. The last two are the indifference and displeasers. They get in the customer's way and they degrade the customer experience. So you want to avoid those at all costs. So that brings us back to our graph here. Um, and now that you see, understand what these different lines mean, um, you can kind of get a feeling for how it works. One thing that really trips people up is they feel like, well, how do I know if something is a delighter or a performance benefit? Like it feels like with these three lines, things have to really lock into one of those buckets. And one thing I've realized is that that's not how it is at all, that it's actually very much a spectrum. Um, so things can be somewhere in between a must-have and a performance benefit, just depending on what your customers really need and if, when you're looking at the group as a whole. Um, so that's something we're going to talk about a little bit more. Thinking of it being on a spectrum, though, brings up this important concept of time. Um, so over time, Delighters become performance benefits. As your customers get used to these delighters and other companies start copying you, um, they become things that customers expect. They become performance benefits. Over time, those performance, performance benefits become must-haves. Um, and so if we're thinking about this in the concept or in the, yeah, with our uh, spectrum here, it, you can see how they move along that spectrum from being a delighter to a performance benefit to a must-have. Um, and I think this is important to bring up because the graph with the three lines just feels so rigid, but it's actually not. It's very fluid. All right, 
So now that we understand what the Kano model is, we're going to talk about when to use the Kano model. So a good use case for the Kano model is when you have already a defined product category and a validated need. Um, when you have those two things, it helps you identify which features to build first and which features to build at all. Um, it can also be useful to products that feel like they're struggling to gain traction in their product category. Uh, you can do a retroactive Kano model analysis to identify why your product isn't getting the traction that you feel it deserves, um, and it can help you create a plan for getting there. A bad use case is if you're trying to find a target market or if you have an unvalidated need, you should never use the Kano model um, to try and explain why someone should want your solution. So once you have these two things, the Kano model helps you identify your product's value proposition. That's how it's gonna fit into your target market to really be unique um, and, and make customers want to buy it when there are other options out there. In order to do that, we first have to figure out which features go into which bucket. So that brings us to the third part, how to use the Kano model. There are four steps to using the Kano model. The first is, just figuring out which potential features are out there. The second is assigning a class, a Kano class, or putting it in one of the buckets um, for each feature. And then you analyze your competition and then you create your value proposition. Um, of these steps one and two take the longest, well, three actually quite takes the longest too, uh, but I'll spend the most time talking about number two. So first up, identify uh, potential features. The first thing you want to do is visit com competitor websites and products and talk to target customers and write down any potential features that you see. Um, you're looking for medium-sized umbrellas, not the like tiny minutia of how your WYSIWYG works, uh, but just, you know, general medium-sized umbrella-shaped features. Um, and then you want to consider the site as a whole. So something like modern UI or ease of use can be a feature if your competitors are lacking in that. So those, those types of things are sometimes overlooked as being features, but uh, when it comes to usability, especially depending on who your competitors are, um, for instance, with Dazuki, um, ease of use is a huge benefit of ours that our competitors really lack. Um, and so those are, are things that you want to consider. And you wanna aim for about 20 features and um, just because you're going to be surveying customers about these features and you don't want to overwhelm them with so many different things to think about. And you also want to consider your target users. The reason this is important is because your end user will likely have different needs and wants and desires than the person who's writing the checks in a B2B situation. Um, what this is also important to consider is your company's contact initiation strategy. So how potential customers first come into contact with your product. Um, if your sales are marketing led, then you need to be considering both the person who's championing the use of your product in the organization, as well as the end users. Um, Cause the end users are gonna be the ones at the end of the day who say, I love this, you know, I wanna keep it. Product led companies have it a little bit easier and that they really just need to consider the end users needs and wants. Um, so make sure you know whose needs you need to consider as you are looking at these potential features and as you are um, moving on to surveying your customers. So that brings us to step two, assigning a Kano class to each feature. 
There are a number of different survey types I've tried for Kano model analysis, uh, and I have a blog post that is on my website that goes through the different types of surveys I've tried. I'm just going to talk today about the one that has worked best for me. So what you're going to do is you're going to create a, a survey, and the essence of the survey is you're going to ask your customers how certain features impact their ability to use the product. Um, sometimes it's about like, are you, sometimes it gets to, are you even willing to buy this product? But it's really about like, can they even use this product with or without, without this feature? So this is what the shape of the survey looks like. Um, for feature X that aim to, aims to do Y, select one of these options. And the first option is I can't function without this. Second is I'm unlikely to consider a product without this. Third, this is exciting, but we can function without it. I'm indifferent or I dislike this. And um, this will be, oh, sorry, I, I was supposed to click through here. Okay, so this first option is your must-have. So when someone selects this option, that means that this feature for that individual is a must-have. This one is a performance benefit. If they, they're unlikely to consider a product without it, performance benefit. If it's exciting to them, it's a delighter. If they don't really care, if they dislike this, indifferent or displeaser. What's interesting about these is I talked about how it fits onto a spectrum. And because it is on a spectrum, you can assign numbers to these different things. Um, and this, these numbers help with the analysis of where these features are gonna fit into your Kano model. So what it does is places them on this spectrum like we talked about. You can say, you know, if someone responds one, it's a must-have. If someone responds two, it's a performance benefit. So say we are looking at feature X and we survey a bunch of customers to figure out how they feel about this feature. And we put it in a spreadsheet and Sally says, I can't function without this. Joe says, I'm unlikely to consider a product without this and so does Bob. So what you do is you say, what type is this? This is a must-have or a performance benefit. And then you give these each the value that we talked about. Um, and these numbers are going to allow, allow us to do a little bit of math with these responses. So we can do an average 1 plus 2 plus 2 is 5, divided by three responses, 1.66. Now what we can do, we have a value for this feature that's going to fit onto our spectrum. And it's right there. Feature X is somewhere in between a performance benefit and a must-have, and it's actually closer to a performance benefit. So in this instance, I would call it more of a performance benefit when I'm considering what we're going to be including in our product value proposition. So you can do this for a number of different features. Uh, for here, I just have three of them, and each one has their average value. And you can assign, you know, based on this average value, I'm going to say this is a must-have, this one's a delighter, and this one's a performance benefit. And you can use rounding. You can also use gut feel in this a little bit um, to say, you know, I think this is actually more of a must-have, or I think this is actually more of a performance benefit, just based on the conversations you had with your customers. Then what's really cool is you can sort the features by average value. So what this literally does is gives you a ranked list of features with quite honestly the most important ones at the top and the least important ones at the bottom. Um, and when you do this, it almost feels kind of like you're cheating. You're like, how did I just get a ranked list of features and just, you know, I can check them off one by one. Uh, but that's why I love the Kano model and that's why I love applying a little bit of a, um, a numbers analysis to it to, to make it really just shine. 
Um, so now you have all your features lined up in, in terms of most important to least important, and it's time to analyze your competition. So when you're analyzing your competition, well, should I ask questions right now? Does anyone have any questions about that? It's a little bit confusing sometimes, I feel like. Or should we do Q&A at the end? We usually do Q&A at the end, but if you want to okay. do it throughout, that's up, up to you. Okay, we can just do it at the end. Perfect. All right. So once you know what buckets your features fit into, then you can take a look at your competition and you can see um, how does our competition deal with these features. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to illustrate it here, but you just create a spreadsheet with the competitor and the features and you can check off um, how well they've implemented that. Um, what's interesting is that every competitor should have every single must-have and if they don't, that could be a real reason why they're struggling to gain traction or maybe um, it's not actually a must-have, but typically I found that nearly every competitor always has every must-have. Um, and everyone should have some level of implementation for each performance, performance benefit. Um, so that means that they might not have implemented the performance benefits all the way, but it's somewhat there so that they can at least check the box for their customers and say, yeah, we have this. Um, in terms of how much your customers will like that, though, that's the question. Um, so when you're looking at performance benefits, evaluate those based on the level of Im implementation. Are they partially implemented or are they really fully implemented? Is that what they're really competing on? Um, the things that your competitors have really fully implemented, that's what they are choosing to be their competitive advantage. For the delighters, those are either it exists or it doesn't exist. Uh, when you're looking at delighters and choosing which ones to implement, it's almost like a bet. Um, you can say these are things that our customers have said are really exciting, but they can do without. What are we betting that in the future they're not going to be able to do without? Um, so you want to make sure the delighters that you're considering are have the potential to move into that performance benefit category. Um, and it's a little less known uh, when something is a delighter. It is really like making a bet. So finally, you take the time to form your value proposition. Um, one definition of value proposition that I really like comes from the Lean Product Playbook by Dan Olson. And that value proposition is the performance benefits on which you decide to compete and the delighters you choose to offer. For a long time, I felt like this term value proposition was really amorphous and I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't know how to apply anything to it. Uh, but I feel like after um, reading that book by Dan Olson, it really made sense to me. Like this is how we define value in our product as composed or as opposed to what our competitors might be offering. Uh, Must-haves are not included in the value proposition because they're expected to be there. Uh, so they're not exciting. No one wants to buy them. They're not, not something you market and sell. They're also not part of your value proposition. You still absolutely have to include every single one of the must-haves. Um, this is also important, your value proposition, because if you're at an early stage in your product, uh, when you're building out your MVP, it outlines why your product is special. So competing against incumbents who have a lot of time invested in their product and they um, 
you know, have built out a lot of the uh, performance benefits already and they've made their bets on delighters. The delighters that you're choosing and the performance benefits that you're competing on makes, helps illustrate to you and to your customers why your product is special. Um, so it's also super valuable for that MVP stage. You can use your competitive, competitive analysis to determine what your competitors' value propositions are as well. Uh, you can see they're betting on these delighters and they're also competing on these performance benefits based on the level of implementation. Um, what's key here is that for your product, you are aiming for a unique value proposition. You wanna find the little niche that potential customers think is helpful and valuable, and you wanna fill that niche. Um, otherwise, you're just always playing catch up. So really combine your value proposition with your competitive analysis to see where does my product really fit in there and how is it going to be valuable to potential customers. And then the last step is to build, easy, <laughs> just execute. Um, no, that's really the hardest part, but, uh, but the condo model helps you get there. So oftentimes the, the question is, what do I build first? How does this help me prioritize? And um, I didn't dive into this super deep, but like I said, I have a, a more in-depth explanation on my website of how to build. But the summary is that for pre-launch products, build in whatever order you want fill out that, that value proposition, um, make sure you have all your must have some level of implementation for uh, your performance benefits that you wanna compete on and, um, and build out that delighter or two really well um, so that your customers see how valuable your product is because they're really excited about that feature that you've chosen um, as your leader. For post-launch products, it's a little bit different you might find that you're missing some must-haves and you absolutely have to start with building all those must-haves out. That has to be the very first thing you do. Without those must-haves, your product simply is not viable. Then you can move on to some performance benefits that you want to compete on. Uh, so you do eventually need, because of how important those performance benefits are, you do eventually need some level of implementation for all of them but start with the ones that you really want to compete on and get those up to an area that makes it a really strong offering for those performance benefits. And then some sprinkle in some delighters along the way. Uh, these are things that are gonna make your customers really happy, uh, but without the foundation of the must-haves and the performance benefits, they're not really gonna work for people. Um, so sprinkle those in, but make sure you have a really solid foundation first before um, really diving into making your delighters really good. And I feel like this is something that uh, really gets overlooked, especially in um, when people, stakeholders are really excited about selling things. The delighters feel, or the delighters and performance benefits, depending, can just feel really excited and they just feel like people are gonna be really excited about them. So they wanna skip over some of the basics. Um, and that's why I've liked the condo model is to illustrate why some of these things that aren't very exciting are actually really important to build first. Um, and like I said, I have more detail and answers to some questions at RaquelMSmith.com. Uh, there's a blog post there. A big thanks to Raquel Smith for presenting. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you virtually at one of our next events.